Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The teacher was very strict and her husband was an officer at the Felix Dijinsky Guards Regiment, which is the Stasi's personal guards. And she was really socialist. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app or join our emailing list at coldwarconversations.com. Dirk lived in the town of Bernau, about 15 miles from the centre of East Berlin. Just outside Bernau was Vondlitz, the residential estate of the East German leadership. As a result, Bernau had one of the highest densities of Stasi facilities in East Germany. Dirk shares the details of his childhood growing up in a Plattenbau block of flats where his school friends were children of East German army officers, Stasi officers and Soviet army officers. He shares some fascinating details of school life and visiting the homes of his school friends in Bernau. We also hear how his parents' anti-Soviet view originated with his grandparents fleeing the World War II Soviet invasion of East Prussia and an uncle who was arrested and disappeared in Berlin in 1945. The battle to preserve Cold War history is ongoing and your support can provide me with the ammunition to continue to keep this podcast on the air. Via a simple monthly donation, you'll become one of our community and get a sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. Hello there, my name is Mark Franks and I served in the Royal Air Force from 1982 through to 2007. What I find fascinating about Cold War conversations are the stories and opinions of those that lived the other side of the Iron Curtain over that period. It's truly fascinating to listen to and keep up the good work and all that you do at Cold War Conversations. If a monthly contribution is not your cup of tea, we also welcome one-off donations via coldwarconversations.com slash donate. I'm delighted to welcome Dirk to our Cold War Conversation. I was born in a town called Bernau. Bernau was a town that had about 16,000 population at this time. And it was about 16 miles to the center of Berlin. It was a town surrounded by Soviet army bases. And there were a couple of uh, East German army, the NVA, were, were based. Who, who else was in your family? So in, in my family, there were uh, me, my brother, my mom and dad and my mom and dad's parents. What was the, the view of the, of the family of the East German state? 
it wasn't really good. To, it wasn't the best, so they didn't like it. But it has some reason dating back to 1945, really. Yeah. So it was my, my grandma. She had to escape from East Prussia, from the Russians. And my granddad's brother, he got uh, arrested in the middle of a day somewhere in Bernau. And he's never been seen again. He got arrested by the Russians. They probably took him to Siberia. He tried to find it out later via the Red Cross and couldn't find any anything. So that's where it actually all started to be against the Russians and all the, all the communism. Where in East Prussia were your relatives from? Uh, near near Königsberg, okay. which is the it's today Kaliningrad. Yeah, it's That's part the, of that Russian enclave. Yeah, um, my grandma, she escaped with the last, very last ship out of Königsberg to Hamburg. That's wow. where she escaped to. Wow! So the ship before, I think the ship before was called the Gustloff, and I think it got. Hit by a Russian torpedo. That's right. Yeah. I think that the Wilhelm Gustloff is the worst maritime uh, sort of civilian disaster, as you yes. could say. It was yes. sunk by a Soviet submarine, but it was yeah. very overcrowded, Yes, I think. And she was lucky that she missed that ship. And she came then, her later husband, uh, lived in Berlin. So she moved to him. She she met she met him in a war, and he he told her to come to him, and, mm -hmm. and they started living a life together in Bernau. Even though that was in the the Soviet zone, yes, she, yes. she decided to stay. But at that point, there were no frontiers, so she could leave quite easily if she wanted. To. Yes, yes. She leave. She uh, escaped first to Hamburg, mm -hmm. and. Moved then to Bernau to my granddad. And her sister stayed in Hamburg. She had her husband already in East Prussia and um, they moved in Hamburg, moved to Hamburg. Was her husband in the, in the army during the war? Uh, yeah, my grandma's husband, he was in the army. He, um, he was first at the Eastern Front, mm -hmm. which is these days Ukraine, around about uh, the Donetsk. And he got wounded there and sent to sent home to hospital in France. And then D-Day came along and the British took him uh, prisoner of war and he stayed for a while in Hull in England. In Hull in England, wow. He, he remembers that people were actually quite nice. Um, he, he could get out of the prisoner of war camp, could go to the pub. So <laughs> he stayed there for about six months and then he moved back to Germany. Wow, that was a lucky escape for him. Yes. Because the Eastern Front yeah. was, was never going to be um, good news. You said one of your relatives was arrested in 1945 in Berlin. Was that by the by the Russians? Yes, that was my other granddad's brother, and right. he, he got just arrested in the middle of Bernau in broad daylight for no reason. He, he tried it then, I think, in the seventies via the Red Cross. 
to find them, but there weren't any records, nothing. What did your parents do for, for work? My mom, she was a secretary in a big factory. Uh, they were making circuit boards, the material. And nearly everyone in Bernau of the civilian population worked in that factory. And she worked as a, as a secretary. And my dad worked as a car mechanic, which he learned like, just like my granddad. Uh, to my granddad, I have to say, he worked as a master mechanic uh, at Mercedes in West Berlin. He was a so-called, what we call a Grenzgänger. A Grenzgänger is a person, was a person who lived in East Germany or East Berlin and worked in West Germany or West Berlin. And he would earn hard currency, obviously, and he had a better lifestyle. He could had access to Western goods. He could change the West mark into the East German mark for a higher course and could buy more in, in, in East Germany. And then uh, 13th of August 1961 came, came along and overnight they closed the wall. And I think it was a Sunday and he, he couldn't go to, to his work in West Berlin anymore. So what happened to him then? Um, I mean, I presume the East German authorities weren't happy about Grenzgangers. No. So no. what happened to him then? He had to look for another job and he ended up as a maintenance engineer in that factory in Bernau and that where, where everybody worked. And he was a maintenance engineer there till he retired in the 70s. And then he could actually go back and forth to, to West Berlin and he would get from West Berlin and from East Germany a pension, a West Berlin pensioner. So he had access to Western money, yeah. But he couldn't do much with it, couldn't buy more, many things because just East German customs would take off him. Once you became a pensioner, the East German government allowed you to travel to the West. Yes. Mainly, I think, in the hope that you would stay there and then wouldn't be a burden on the East German government. Um, they didn't bother because they, they lost the, the workforce, so mm -hmm. it wasn't of any use. They wouldn't have bothered. But I think uh, every pensioner was allowed once a month to go. So they had restrictions oh, right. too. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. I wasn't aware of that. Yes. You mentioned you had relatives in the West in, in Hamburg. Did they come and, and visit you? Yes, I had uh, in Hamburg. That was my grandma's sister. They would visit us once a year. Uh, and she, she would, my grandma and granddad would go once a year or twice a year. And my dad has a, had a cousin in West Berlin. And she would come on a monthly basis. Often, quite often. She was very wealthy. She had uh, a company, her own company in West Berlin. And she came quite often to us. And was that a highlight of the month when, when she oh, yes. came over? Oh, yes. So what, what did she bring you? Absolutely. She, she brought all sorts of food, of uh, clothing, kids, for us being kids, lots of toys and 
things like that. And every time she came, it really annoyed me as a child. Yeah, uh, she said, "Oh, I've I've just been to South America. You must go to South America." We said, "Yeah, we we can't." And she always said that, like, and she always came with big Mercedes, and it was always yeah. amazing when she came. What What did the neighbors think of her? showing up were they jealous or uh, no actually it was apartment block so we didn't have much contacts to each other well but i think it, it was probably noticed because in every house there was at least one family washtasi and the funny thing was always when uh, when we got visitors any visitors and they stayed there more than one day. They had to sign in the house book and sign sign in and sign out. So were you living in Plattenbau? Yes, or, in Plattenbau. Yeah. It was uh, a big estate. It was called the Pushkin Estate. <laughs> and these were long blocks of flats. Each was probably 300 meter long, up to 300 meter long. And they were, they were all in order. In certain blocks, there were only people living, working at a certain, like, at a certain base or certain Stasi. They were all put in order. But I know that from a friend of mine who was uh, a major in the NVA, and he explained to me that is because we can keep ourselves to ourselves. So even if we would mix with civilian, there could be any, get any information out. And also if there is an alarm or whatever, they could collect them all at one point. That was the reason why they put each company, each, each army base in one block. And you, you said you didn't really have that much contact with you, with your neighbours. Uh, no, because our block that was just like m normal working people. I had some contacts because some of the children we went to the same school, same class, or played with them. But so the adults, they didn't have much contact, although. There was something like called a house Gemeinschaft, which means house community, and they would like partying together and do things together. But that only existed in them Stasi blocks and in them NVA blocks. They would do that. And you would also, you could definitely see who lives where when the 1st of May was on. The, the, that was the number one holiday in East Germany, the day of the workers and farmers. Uh, you could see that because on them, where the Stasi lives and the NVA, they would have all flags out, out of the window. And our block, only a few, only a few, so you could see that. What was uh, schooling like for you? Schooling was... Um, the first two years was fine. We had a form teacher who had 
uh, own business, she had a funeral business, still had, they still had a, today they had a big dynasty of it. And that was sort of okay. We were like ch mostly children from families, normally working families. So that enjoyed it. And then in year three, the class split. They split it. Um, the better pupils, they would go in a exact, in a special class learning Russian from year three. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week to be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War. As a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. Us, the rest would learn Russian from year five. So, and I came then in a class where us, the working class, the normal working children, they were um, in a minority. Majority were all children of either East German army or Stasi. Um, the teacher, she was also, she was very strict and her husband was an officer at the uh, Felix Dijinsky Guards Regiment, which is Milke's, is the Stasi's personal guards. And she was really strict, really, really a socialist, communist. A true believer. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And that's when the trouble all started. Yeah. These uh, children from Stasi and and VA, they, they would always tell on, on us with everything what we said on, they would tell the teacher we were always in trouble. And uh, because of my uh, Western relatives, the, my clothing was Western. And uh, I remember I came in with a Levi's jeans and uh, got told off by the teacher in front of all the class what what I thinking wearing these Western clothing. And she wrote it in my diary. There was a diary where they would wrote everything in what we did wrong and uh, wrote in Dukas wearing openly Western clothes and please stop doing that, letting them go in Western clothes. And my, my mom just laughed and write something nice to her. Also, <laughs> Anyway, it turned out that I could wear them jeans, but I had to take the Levi's label off. And even worse thing happened to my brother. He had a, a Bundeswehr parker. What the Whoa, Bundeswehr. Yeah. And on the left arm, there was this uh, West German flag on. Yeah. <laughs> and he went to school and got pounced um, by, by the Staatsbürgerkunde teacher, which is citizenship is all the propaganda. Mm -hmm. 
and he dragged them into the office and cut with a razor blade, cut a square out of the arm and he came home and crying and looking at that big square and my mom just went to the school and complained to the director and all that. And that ended up, they, they had to buy him a new parka, East German parka. <laughs> well, your mum sounds, she was really feisty then with the authorities. Oh, yeah, with, with the teacher, yeah. When, when, when they brought it too far, then she would go or my dad would go, yes. So I yeah. would complain, yeah. Your family must have been seen as troublemakers then. Uh, we... We decided not to make trouble. We we decided more like being passive, passive and not participating in anything. Like we, I was member like everyone member of the young pioneers. Yeah. And there were these afternoons in a spare time, and it was all political and the propaganda. And they found out that we watched West Western TV and spoke openly in school. And they dragged me in front of all of them in that pioneer afternoon, pioneer afternoon, and, and just blasted me for it. And I went home then to my mom and she said, well, it's your, it's your spare time. You don't need to go. Uh, don't, don't go there anymore if, if they just upset you, which I didn't. And the big thing was then, uh, that was 1st of May and participating in the demonstration was like mandatory, like what they said. Yeah? Mm. And I went that one 1st of May, didn't, didn't go there. Um, so I was worried. So asked my dad, what should I say? Uh, they will ask me on Monday. And he had a very dry room, yeah? and he said, well, just say say uh, your aunt from West Berlin was here to visit, <laughs> which I did. I said I went in and just sat up in front of class, and they were like blown away. And she, the teacher, she went all red over her face and and really shouting at me and throwing me out of the room. So wow! But from then on, when I. Uh, I embarrassed her in front of the class with that. She really lost it. Then it stops and, and she tried them different ways to bully me, like excluding me from any things like when we went out, school days out, like on a hot summer's day, everybody could swim. I, I wasn't allowed to or things like that. She so would, she, she would try and exclude you from things she knew that you would enjoy. Yes. A punishment, like a, a covered-up punishment. And you, you said that the uh, the Stasi kids and the MVA kids would tell on you to the teachers about things you were talking about. Yes. Was that mainly stuff around Western TV and, and stuff you were picking up there, or, or what was there it other? Was, um, about Western TV, and also when the Russians marched into Afghanistan... I was talking negative about it, and they were telling the teacher, and the teacher was telling me off and telling me like the, their reasons why they marched in. I can imagine that that, that, that wouldn't have gone, gone, gone yeah. down well. 
at all. Were you told at home not to mention certain things around other people? Uh, yeah, uh, my my mom and dad said, "Okay, being passive and not doing their socialist stuff, that's okay." But watch what you're saying. Especially my best friend is that was in the NVA, and my second best friend is is that was uh, an officer in the Soviet army. So they just said, "Just watch what you're saying, and you'll be all right." Wow. Yeah. How how did you reconcile that friendship with with those kids? Against what their parents stood for, were that you just thought, well, he's he's a nice yeah kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were like friends since we since we were like five years old. Played on the same playground, so it didn't didn't matter, didn't make any difference. So obviously, when I came to their homes, I wouldn't be like making like a big western show off I would never do that and I would never criticize them or question that and so they would they would never ask me or, or criticize me of my beliefs or of our west more western like lifestyle yeah. they wouldn't do that what was it like visiting their homes I mean how did their parents treat you there? oh they treat me just like like a normal, like a friend. They knew where I lived because everyone was living in that estate. So just normal, just normal. They would never say anything on my, whatever my clothing was or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And with, with those friends, did they ever mention that they watched Western TV or, or not? My friend whose dad was in the East German army, they, because they lived in this block where only army lives, the same in the same uh, unit, the same base, they couldn't watch Western TV. It would have, they would have seen it straight away the way the area was pointed, the the TV antenna, because ours were pointed to West Berlin and theirs were pointed to the East German television tower. So you could see straight away, but my my friend actually he watched Western TV, but had to do it. He had to uh, let down the blackout blind, and he had a portable telly with uh, a room area, and they would watch it and listen with with headphones. Wow! What well, the family would? That... Yes, yes. Oh, that's really interesting. So very secretly because. If anyone in the house would find it out, they would have been in trouble. Absolutely. It was always very secret, and he never really admitted it, though, you know. But I could tell, I could tell they were watching it. When they came to my house, I made it like Western as possible, <laughs> Western TV on, couldn't get them off the telly, actually. We're giving them like, like Western sweets and make make really the West looking nice. And my Russian friends, it wasn't actually my Russian friend didn't bother whether it was West or East German TV. They 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 watched just like their Russian stuff, mm -hmm. Russian channels. Yeah. 
So the, the, your Russian friend was the son of uh, a Soviet military officer? Yes. So was this boy being taught in the same school as you? No, they had a special school. So they had an extra apartment block on the estate. And the base was just right behind it. Was The base was in front of our house. So when they got to school, they got picked up by a bus and driven somewhere where, where their school was. They, they had their own school uniform, just like back in Russia. So how, how did you meet him? How, how did he become your friend? Because there was a playground and I met him like when I was four years old. We played with him. And his friend came to it, and uh, during that time, I learned to speak Russian nearly perfectly. We became friends and visit each other. Yeah. So, would you go and visit his his flat, his parents' flat as well? Yes, yes, and there were huge differences. When he came first to us to visit us, and he was just amazed. Uh, we had a um, three-bedroom flat. And he came and said, that's all for you? And you got you got a room, you and your brother got an extra room, and he couldn't believe that. And I didn't think much about it. And that why he's so amazed about that, that we have just the normal standard of the East German family. Uh, however, when I visited his house, I found out why. Because the Russians lived like, just like back in Russia, like, like they would live in Moscow these days. And that was usually that an apartment was shared by two families. One would have, each one would have one bedroom, bedroom, and the bathroom and the kitchen were shared between. So there were a whole family living in one room. And that's that's why it was why he was so amazed. How were his parents when when you were there? His mother was just like she treated me like like if I would be her own child, or like the Russians are. They're really friendly to children. They love children, mm-hmm. and and the dad was really great. He he would take us into the Russian base, the the base. What it was was a motorized. Guards regiment, and they would just have trucks like the mural trucks, and they sometimes he would take us either to the base, and twice he took us out when they were exercising driving on a big that was a training area. He take us to the training area, and we could drive with them all day on the mural truck. Well, it was quite amazing. Wow, yeah. that must have been that yeah. must have been. Uh fun for you. Oh yeah, I, I saw them exercising, I saw how the normal soldier was treated, although they were treated really poorly. So how, how did the the Russian conscripts live in, in the base? Uh, um, my friend's dad, he took us to their base and then he said, uh, I let you have a look how the normal soldiers live. And he went to, we went to the living quarter and what the Russian bases were actually the Russian moved in into former Wehrmacht or SS bases 
world which were around Bernau. The Russians just moved in and took it over. And there were still these old buildings from from the Wehrmacht. And where the soldiers slept, we went in the that was a huge dormitory, massive. And there were around hundred small beds. And all what a Soviet soldier had was a small bed and a tiny wooden stool where all his belongings fit on. And their coats and helmets and whatever were all hanging on the wall. It was really poorly. They had no privacy and nothing. And later we went then to eat. So come, I have something to eat. And we got to eat what they eat, actually. And they had three times the same meal a day. And that was Gretschka, it's a buckwheat. It's, a, it's like a buckwheat mash with a slice of bread. Mm-hmm. And if they were lucky, maybe they had a bit of meat in once a month or something. And that's what they were eating. And, and we, we had it. The bread was actually quite nice, but that Gretschka that tasted like nothing. That was their diet. I witnessed also. They had um, a system. It's called the Devochina, um, which is it dates back to the times of the Tsar. The Devochina is the the reign of the granddads, mm-hmm. which means that the new conscripts they were treated by the older. Like, like slaves. So the first half year they were treated like slaves. And there was one occasion I witnessed they were like exercising. We were on a training ground. And one of them did something wrong, wrong exercising, slight, slightly mistake. And this older one just took straight away, took the rifle off him and bunked him over his head and made him then put on a camp suit and run at 30 degrees. Wow. Uh, they were really treated really, really badly. Uh, yeah. I witnessed that too. Uh, the, in the Soviet army, it was really dreadful, the mm. treatment, and which led then sometimes some of them escaping, sometimes with weapons. And they, they were really dangerous. Luckily, I never experienced that, but I've heard that a lot that things like that happen. Because they almost became suicidal, so they just escape yeah. and then they had nothing shoot. to lose. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that from one from my dad because he knew uh, someone from the Volkspolizei that a Russian took some hostage in a house in a farmhouse, and the Russian they just wanted to go in, wanted to storm it, wanted to go in with a tank into it. They managed to stop them and to get this Russian conscript out, yeah. out there of the house to surrender. Yeah, you hear stories like that. And, and the dad, he take us to the Soviet base. We could buy in their shops called the magazine, could buy their, in their shops sweets. And he would also take us to the living quarter of the conscripts which really shocked me. Yeah. 
And yeah, so all the public area, so halfway public area, that was okay for us to visit. Only thing where what was strictly forbidden was behind. There was like a base in a base where they would have the, the technique and the weapon that was that couldn't yeah. go there. That so was, the living areas you yes. could you could go around, but yes. anything where there was any weapons or any equipment. Yeah, that was heavily guarded, was double barbed wire fenced and mm-hmm. guards all around. That never never could go there. Because the Soviets, yeah, treated the the conscripts oh, yes. really badly. I, I remember hearing reports of uh, uh, British troops who were in um, East mm. Germany looking at the the state of them, and uh, they yeah. were they were treated very very poorly. They were always like at the back of the base, the front of the base were the the living quarters. The back of the base that was always secret. Military yeah. stuff, yeah. Because you mentioned you had a, a friend who was in the NVA. Did his father show you around the base or anything like that? Um, he was a teacher in um, nuclear, biologic, chemical. And, chemical, and he was a teacher. And he would uh, sometimes take us in to show the classroom and show all the shards about an atom bomb and what happens and Showed us a Geiger sailor, Geiger counter, how yeah. it works, and all that stuff. Wow! Yeah, he showed us that. But he didn't take you out in Euro truck on exercise no, or anything no. like that. So because he had to be careful, we he had to make sure no one sees on the on the base, otherwise he would get in trouble. He yeah. was a major. He was there with the NVA since since it started. He collected uniforms and told us a lot of stuff about the NVA mm-hmm. and he was he wasn't very like communist he, I never heard anything like that yeah. but okay uh, he was also careful not saying anything what was life like in Bernau having you know the Soviet army and the the East German army what, what was daily life like um, was actually around the clock um, we we had also an airbase in a place called Verneuchen, which is a little village eight miles away from us. And they had a big uh, Air Force base, the Soviet Army, MiG-25. And they would fly day or night. They never bothered about people. They would just cracking sonic boom. <laughs> You would hear, and at night they come in to land right over our estate. Sometimes my dad, he, he just wouldn't turn up to work next day and said, well, the Russians have flew all, all night, I couldn't sleep. <laughs> um, we had a, that Russian military base right behind our house. So quarter past six in the morning, you wake up because the Russians were marching to the morning assembly, singing, loud singing. That was the first thing. Yeah. So trucks would go in and out that base. So you would see, see a lot of Russian soldiers. And from the N- NVA, actually not too much. So you saw the trucks going in and out, 
the, their bases were out of the city. There were two bases. One was an engineering battalion and one was, um, was um, anti-aircraft missile base. So they had like the command bunker and all that. But that was, you couldn't see anything. Well, that was guarded, was called Spergebiet. So yeah. a restricted area, always behind the forest. So you couldn't see anything. Bernau is close to Wundlitz, oh, which yes. was where yes. the, the leaders of East Germany yes. had their residences. Yes. Were you aware that that was there? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it was because... We sometimes traveled to Wandlitz because we had friends there and the road leading into Wandlitz was a wide dual carriageway with um, connection to, with a junction to the Autobahn to Berlin. And every time someone from the Politburo came, the um, traffic police would just close the road, uh, traffic light to red. Later, I knew all the traffic police, I knew later, they were actually all Stasi in uniform. And you, you stand there half an hour waiting, and then just a single Volvo comes through, <laughs> green again. And what I also noticed, uh, one block in our estate, um, they were all for Stasi in Wandlitz. Yeah, and one of my classmates, his dad was the chef, the chef for the Politburo. He, he cooked meals for Honecker. And every time we would have a, a day out from school, like walking or going to the lakes, this one would turn up at, at lunchtime, providing the best sandwiches, things you, you couldn't see in the shops. And that was his dad. Providing the catering from Wandlitz. We were aware, my dad always told me that it's Wandlitz where they live. Mm. Yeah. But um, when you drove, when we drove past, we sometimes went uh, to, to pick mushrooms. All you could see was Sperrgebiet and you could see this green wall, nothing else. And um, the roads, always leading into these bases or like like to the Waldsiedlung. They always went in as a, as a forest and then they all went a bend. Mm -hmm. So you can't see actually a gate or anything. They were all like, that was the standard of all the bases. Um, we also had um, close by the bunker of the Politburo was built there near close by. Mm -hmm. There were several bunkers of for several organizations, but we, we never knew really anything about it because it was just hidden and heavily guarded. Yeah, it was only after the, the wall came down that you yeah. discovered yeah. that there was this other stuff there. Yeah, I found out that in Bernau had actually the highest density of Stasi uh, facilities in a whole East Germany. But mm. now they were all concentrated, obviously because of um, the Waldsiedlung and the uh, close to Berlin. So that's that's probably why yeah. it was to protect the leadership. Yes, as well. 
did the family ever come under suspicion from oh, the Stasi? Oh yes. yes, they came. It was uh, my mum, she, where she worked. Her boss, um, he escaped to West Germany. Um, uh, he did that probably with, with a false passport via, via, via a trafficking organization. So we noticed that, that in front of our house, there were always a car, like a Wartburg or a Lada. Uh, uh, always two guys sitting in and they were watching us day and night. First we thought they might watch someone else. So my dad said, right, you look now behind the window and see what happens. I just get out and go up the road and you see what happens. Although we, we watched and as soon as my dad was walking up the road, they would just follow him. One of them would just walk behind them. So and when we visited friends in, on the estate, a couple of blocks away from us, when we went there, they would park in front of that house. So there was obviously they were looking for us. And then my dad made jokes with them. He, <laughs> he would shine a big torchlight at their car at night from the window. And he even went down, apparently went down once and offering a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. And then it's certainly after about 10 weeks, 12 weeks, it stopped. Suddenly, and we didn't know, didn't we? We didn't have a clue why, really. And we would only found out later then in my mom's Stasi, uh, Stasi fire. She had a Stasi fire, and there was that all. Listen, it was um, they, the Stasi was concerned that my mom was preparing an escape. So, and they they tried to find out, and they. I think they said two IMs on her and found then eventually found then out that she's nothing selling nothing. The house is all fine and we, we are well dressed and all that. And they came to the conclusion there's no danger that she escapes. Did your parents think about trying to escape from mm. East Germany? No, no, they had no, no intention of. No, because we had, a, we had our, our flat, we had our garden and all our relatives, the, the parents, so never, never thought any of any escape thoughts, no. Because you, I mean, as long as you kept your head down, yes. you had a comfortable yes. life. Yes. It was, uh, yes. you know, you, yes. you were not. Um, short of money, you got presents from your yeah. relatives in the in the west, so yeah. it, it was just fine. Mm. For Le- you. Yeah, later they even let my mum go into her auntie's 80th birthday in Hamburg, and my dad was allowed to visit West Berlin, so it was okay. And they came back, yeah. It was later, even though I said to my mom, why did you not stay? <laughs> you could have taken me, <laughs> me later over, with, but she, she didn't yeah. want to. She wanted to stay with her mom. And all yeah. That. yeah. Wow. That, that's quite incredible considering what they 
you know the suspicions that they had about mm. you and the, and the fact that you know you you definitely were I guess troublemakers is not necessarily right but you weren't mm. going to follow the regime's line yeah. it was when that happened with the Stasi that was 1979 so it was still very strict um, when they eventually could go to visit the west that was 1987, 88, so mm -hmm. it was more relaxed than, I think they did a couple of deals with, with West Germany to get, uh, to get money and well, they, they relaxed a little bit. Dirk's story continues next week with a move to Berlin with his mother, whose new partner is an East German border guard. Don't miss the episode extras such as videos, photos and other content. Just look for the link in the podcast information. The podcast wouldn't exist without the generous support of our financial supporters and I'd like to thank one and all of them for keeping the podcast on the road. If you'd like to help the project, just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. The Cold War Conversation continues in our Facebook discussion group. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Thanks very much for listening and see you next week. Not enjoying the ads? Well, you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. By becoming a monthly or annual supporter, you'll enjoy ad-free listening, become a part of our community, receive the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster, and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.